you ever made a sacrifice? There's a lot of things we can sacrifice in life. Maybe uh, if you're a parent, you know this very well. To have a child it means to sacrifice a lot. I, I've heard it said, what is it, by the time they reach high school, you would have spent close to $300,000 in raising them. Did you realize that? I don't know if that math is correct. I've seen reports on that. Just incredible amounts of money, not to mention the time and the effort in sacrificing doing something else uh, to raise a child. Maybe it's uh, to start a, your own business. There's a lot of sacrifice involved in that. Some of you have done that. You know this, that it also can be a sacrifice of resources and, and finances and time and effort and energy in order to pour into starting that business. It can be true any career that you're in. To succeed or, or prevail, you, you have to sacrifice a lot of things. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes people even sacrifice their family or, or time doing other things in order to succeed. Lots of ways to sacrifice. Um, this recent, uh, the Olympics, lots of personal human interest stories, and you heard a lot of stories of how athletes have sacrificed so much uh, to be on top of their game. Many of them even uh, moving away from their families or families getting up and moving to a place where a training facility is located in order for their young person or that athlete to succeed. A lot of sacrifice, not to mention hours and hours and hours of practice. Uh, sacrifice is something we're very familiar with and it's, it's in varying degrees of what sacrifice means. So it's a word we're familiar with but uh, we get into God's word and the word sacrifice shows up a lot. And in particular, uh, the sacrificial system that God had established going all the way back into the Old Testament times. It was a, a system established to give God's people an opportunity to connect with God in their worship, but to experience a, a sense of his grace in their worship practice. Uh, God had established that, that because sin was so, so serious, that only one thing would be an answer to atone for sin, and that would be the shedding of blood. So God had established a sacrificial system that the shedding of blood would offer forgiveness. And uh, kind of a gruesome thought in, in our day and age, and, and humane society would have a, a protest over this, to say the least, is that people would come to the temple or the tabernacle, they'd meet with the priest, and they would bring an animal and, and based in their economic status, if they could afford to bring a, a cow or a, a, a steer and, and they would sacrifice that animal, if you didn't have enough money, you'd bring maybe a bird or a pigeon or a lamb or something in between. And that animal, the person would lay their hand on that animal as that animal's life was taken and blood was shed and that blood would be sprinkled on the, the altar and, and the priest would sprinkle that blood and, and, and all by way of a sacrificial prayerful moment in worship where the blood would be a covering of sin and, and a person's sin would be transferred to that animal. Now I'm kind of being overly simplistic but you think about that. God had established this and, and there were uh, I don't know how many different sacrifices in the Old Testament God mentions and only one of them, the grain offering sacrifice was the only one that didn't involve blood. Others from guilt offerings and sin offerings and, and the name list goes on of Offerings that God invited his people to come uh, and, and come before him and it would involve the shedding of blood in the sacrifice. And you add that and you say, okay, God made this part of the form of worship. When you came, there was bloodshed. 
and, and this was part of temple life, you might say. So why is it then that we get to the gospel reading today and Jesus is upset? Uh, let's, let's read this again from the gospel reading from John chapter 2. And, and even before I read it, I want to just point out kind of an interesting side note here, a little theological discussion that's gone on for a long time because John's gospel records the cleansing of the temple here in chapter 2. The other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they record a cleansing of the temple and it happens toward the end of Jesus' ministry. It's actually one of the last public acts before he's arrested and goes the way of, of the cross. Yet John's gospel records it as one of the first events in Jesus' ministry. In fact, right after the, uh, the, the wedding in Canaan, when Jesus turns water into wine, the very next event that John records is Jesus going into Jerusalem in a temple and cleansing the temple. And, and so the debate has raged, okay, is John just not interested in chronology? Is John more interested in sharing the truth of Jesus? And it made sense that his ministry would start by setting this precedent that happened later in his ministry, but it's just a reminder, this is why he's come, this set things right again. And uh, well, other scholars have, have argued, well, why is it though that three of the gospels recorded? Does that mean John isn't interested at all in, in recording facts and as they happened? And yet there's other places in John's gospel would seem he talks about time being very important. And, and so this debate rages, but there's a lot of scholars that have come to the conclusion, is it possible then that there were two cleansings? Because as we're going to see in context, it would seem, and when Jesus cleanses the temple, there's a reaction from people that would seem that they don't rarely recognize him or know him, and this would make sense early in his ministry, and that, is it possible he cleansed the temple early, and then three years later, when he's going the way of, of the cross, he cleanses it again because really nothing has changed. I don't have the answer. I only present it to you. It's like, huh, interesting. This is the fascination of studying scripture, right? As we grow in this stuff. But here's John's account of the cleansing of the temple. Now, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords and drove out all of the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, this is from Psalm 69, verse nine, zeal for your house will consume me. Now pause there. What's the deal? I mean, what gives? I remember the first time I read this, like, wait a minute, I thought Jesus never sinned. Isn't it a sin to get angry? And, and then you go into scripture more and you realize, well, actually, there is such a thing as righteous anger. And Jesus is exemplifying righteous anger. But what is that anger directed toward? I mean, aren't God's people following what God had established? A sacrificial system, they're coming to the temple to make a sacrifice. And, and of course, if you're traveling all that distance, it's not like you're bringing your own farm animals, you know, for a long journey. You, you have to sacrifice something. So, of course, they're selling animals there. Doesn't it make sense? What's going on with the sacrifice that isn't right? Um, this happened to me yesterday. I, I have, Fridays is our, our day off, and, and we, uh, I don't know what you do, Pastor Steve, usually, I go shopping, I think, right? And I, no, no, I'm kidding. Um, but on my day off, I like to take naps. 
Um, I, I like to catch up on any TV shows I've missed during the weeks. I, I like to get on my bike when the weather permits and, and ride. But the other thing that just by way of being the one in the house, just the way I'm wired, I'm the one who notices when cleaning needs to happen. And, and so often on my day off, I will sacrifice a good chunk of my day off to clean. And, and I don't enjoy cleaning. I can't stand cleaning. But it's got to get done. And so vacuuming, dusting, you know, clean up the floors, whatever you got to do. And what I've noted, though, is when I invest a sacrifice of my time in cleaning, something I don't enjoy, and then when my family comes home, I've noticed that rarely do they notice. Rarely. In fact, what, what I've noticed is when they come through the door, often not only do they not notice, but immediately there's shoes everywhere, and immediately furniture is out of place, and there's papers everywhere, and there's clutter, because the big time of the cleaning is decluttering the house of all the stuff that just gathers everywhere, and, and it's just right back the way it was. And wouldn't you know, yesterday on Friday, everybody comes home, and that's exactly what happens, and then to add to it, I... I hear from my daughter yelling down, oh, Charlie threw up. He's our dog. And sure enough, I just clean the floors and go figure they're a mess. Like, really? Doesn't anybody know what I do around? No, that's not what I did. I love my family. But when a sacrifice gets pounced on or walked over or unnoticed or un unappreciated, something's missing. And, and maybe in a small way, it helps us to understand Jesus' reaction here. Because God had been bringing this up with his people for centuries. He'd established a form of worship for them to experience forgiveness, all pointing ahead to something greater. But he had established this in order that his people would come into his presence and be present in mind and heart and have a transformation through his word and his promises over them. The problem was... In practice, they were just going through the motions. Uh, the money changers, well, that was an interesting chaos of, of events. Money changers got established because the Jews decided they didn't want any of the Roman money to come into the temple because, after all, all the Roman money had pictures of Caesar and others, and they considered themselves gods, so that was unholy. So they would have money exchangers at the entrance of the temple to exchange the money so that you could get temple money, Jewish money, to then give your offerings, or, or buy the sacrifice. Can you imagine if we had people out in the parking lots, before you gave your offering envelopes, you'd have to exchange it for St. John uh, church money every weekend because we can't accept American money. Can you imagine? I mean, that was what was going on. The problem was, though, is this was a way of taxing the people because the exchange rate was high, and so the money exchangers and in turn the religious leaders were getting a cut from this. And it was corrupt. That was part of the problem. And not only that, they're charging top dollar for animals that weren't without defect, as God had called them to give animals that had significance. And, and so you, you got this just mess of going on. And, and, and not only that, people are just going through the motions doing it because this is what we do. We go to temple and, and we pay the taxes and, and we make the sacrifice. And, and then we get back to sinning and living life the way we want. Because after all, we fulfilled our duty before God. So glad that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> or does it? You know, I, I, I'm convinced of this. You know, how easy is it to just go through the motions of coming to church and see, I did that for God today. I, I went to communion. I did that for God. I prayed today. I did that for God. 
I gave my offering. I did that for God. I'm good now. Now I can get back to living life the way I want to live it. Because after all, I can always come back next week and get more forgiveness. And then often what happens too is we come to church in that same spirit of shallowness where we're just going through the motions, we're really not even paying attention to the words, we're just saying the words, going through it. And what happens to our minds and hearts? We start to judge people around us. Well, they're not as religious as me. Look at the way they're dressed. Or we start complaining like, well, why did they put that in the service? That's not, that doesn't belong. Or we start saying, that pastor's sermon isn't really applying to me. I'm sure, man, my brother should have been here. He really could have benefited from that. Is it possible we go through the same motions that caused Jesus to make a whip of cords and say, enough already? Maybe it would understand when a sacrifice is trampled of what really God has intended for his people. You know, the prophets would remind them, you know, the Lord told them again and again, you know, your, your lips, they honor me, but your hearts are far from me. We are people who need a sacrificial heart change on a deep level. It's why Jesus got so upset that day. But it's interesting because here's Jesus not defending the sacrificial system, rather because the more we know about why he has come, he's come to be the fulfillment of that sacrificial system, which probably only added more aggravation of realization of here I am, the one who is the perfect sacrifice, and I'm present here. Don't you get it, people? Well, they challenge him on it. It says, the Jews then responded to him, what sign will you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Oh, they didn't like that. (laughs) Come on. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? Now, they're thinking back in Josephus, the Jewish historian gives us this information that Herod the Great started the building, the rebuilding of the temple, and it was in the 18th year of his reign, which chronologically would get us to about 27, 28, or 29 AD, give or take a year or so there, which given John's recording of this would actually make it seem as if this is truly an earlier cleansing of the temple based on that timing. And 46 years, okay, taking a long time to build the temple, but Jesus isn't talking about bricks and mortar, is he? He's talking about his body. He's talking about the ultimate sacrifice that's going to happen when he's about to lay down his life as he also would say, I'll give you the sign of Jonah and and to rise again after three days, coming to life again. From the belly of a whale, no, but from the belly of a grave. Jesus says, I am the ultimate sacrifice. Don't you get it? Well, as a fulfillment then. And if we're on this side of it, what is it that God wants of us? Where does sacrifice play into our lives? We come to God with brokenness and sinfulness and shallowness and superficiality in the way we approach our relationship with God. How do we get to a place of depth and meaning and purpose when it comes to a relationship with one who's willing to die for us? Well, for that, I think we have to have a deeper understanding of true sacrifice in the eyes of God. You've got to back up hundreds of years to one known as King David, who God mentions he had a heart for. And David, who struggled not only with 
what it meant to be a leader, but he struggled with what it meant to even be a follower of God when he sinned and broke a covenant over God. He turned from him and his sin and his lust even to the point of murder until David's attention is, is found in the prophet Nathan who goes to him. And this is David's confession. But this one little segment after he says, pours out his heart, you know, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. Later in, in Psalm 51, this is what David says. Now keep in mind, this is when the sacrificial system is still in effect, right? And, and yet David even recognizes something greater would be needed than just the animal sacrifices of the day because he recognized the depth of his sin. And through prophetic eyes, he, he knows of a day that is coming where a greater sacrifice truly is needed. But in preparation for that, what does God call us to? He says it, do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. Do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Rather, my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Maybe we start to zero in on what really matters as broken, sinful, hurting people and how God has positioned us in a place of being ready to receive that gift of his sacrifice. It's to realize a true sacrifice God seeks is a contrite heart, a broken spirit, to come before God in a neediness and a recognition we need him and we need his help for grace and forgiveness. The beginnings of a true sacrifice for us. Now, what's it look like when we experience it then? You know, my, my friend Dale, some of you met Dale um, some months ago when he was here uh, working with us. And Dale's, one of Dale's favorite stories about sacrifices, uh, a pig and a chicken are walking down the road one day. And, and they walk past a church and there's a big banner out there, youth breakfast, fundraiser. And, and as they're walking past, they go near the, the kitchen and they overhear the, the kids and the, the parents talking like, what are we going to do? We're out of eggs and we're out of bacon. And, and the chicken elbows the, the pig and says, man, this is our chance to make a difference here. I mean, they need our help. And, and, and the pig says, hang on for a moment here. <laughs> for you, chicken, to make... Uh, a difference here means you're going to make a donation. For me, it's true sacrifice, right? And there's a big difference. When God calls us to really offer our hearts broken before him in sacrifice, and, and when we meet Jesus, and as we've been learning this, what's it mean to die that we might live, that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, to die to self and to realize that I'm truly more alive when I give that up and I brokenness and I say, God, I want your life lived in and through me. May your spirit have its way. May your word have its way in my life. May your sacrament have its way in my life that the life I now live, I would live by the power of God. Or as Paul would later say it, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God for this is your true and proper worship. You know, I read that and I get the impression this is more than an hour on Sunday, isn't it? <laughs> that God is inviting us 
to a life of sacrifice that brings life in our hearts and lives through the death and resurrection of our Savior who is alive and well in us. That the life we now live, we live by faith in him. And that we offer our bodies, our talents, our abilities, our minds, our hearts, all of our time and efforts to say, Lord, what would you do in and through me today that my life, in view of your mercy and grace and forgiveness, would be a testimony of your love? What an incredible way to die that we might live through sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.